Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Sean Cohen. He's the uh, director of a new film called Rat Park. It's a Vice production, and it's the first Canadian full-length feature doc that Vice has produced and brought out. Uh, Rat Park, it's a film about drugs and the cages we live in. And and Shawnee and I, uh, have, we have a wonderful conversation. I mean, we get into we get into some th- uh, some some notions around creativity and cinema verite, and we we talk about uh, uh, pers- personal evolution. And and, and Shawnee gets uh, gets quite intimate actually at, at a few places in the interview, and talks about why he does the work that he does. And and we talk so much around context and environment. And Rat Park was a an experiment that was done by a Canadian scientist back in uh, the the 70s and it was controversial at the time and probably for some still controversial today but it's it's about context and it's about environment and and it's this 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 scientist to do Bruce uh, who who set up um this rat park this rat maze and 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 rat haven i think he calls it you know i think shawnee talks about it being a a utopia for rats and found out some really interesting things when it came to morphine and heroin and the rats that were sort of living in the cages and how they reacted and responded to the drug and how the others who were living you know with other rats and in community and so on and how they responded and so you, you you might want to look it up even before you watch the film and if not, you can step right into it. But it's 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 a it's a film about addiction and it's about mental health. It's about medical issues and science over compassion, or maybe the the marriage of the two. We talk about harm reduction and you know decriminalization and 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 we even talk about rats 
and rats that meditate. I certainly didn't know that before I went into this interview. Shawnee's a terrific guy and, and has a lot to say, not only about rats, but about the film, about addiction, about what he and others have learned as he's traveled around the globe making this film. So stay tuned. It's, it's coming uh, soon to Crave uh, TV. You'll be able to find it there. And don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and my speaking. You can pick up a copy of Real Changes. Uh, Real Change is incremental there, actually. It's a copy of a book uh, I published a few years back, available through Amazon. And also, face-to-facelive.ca, so many other interviews there. Go back and look through our, our, our history, coming up on 500 interviews. If you want to support the work that, that, that I'm doing or we're doing here, you can do that through Patreon and actually donate monthly. And if you can't do that, boy, would we appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes. Send this off to your friends. Talk about us on Twitter in one way or another. And sign up for the newsletter as well. We send one out once a month. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That always helps as well. And just getting some digital noise out there about face-to-face would be would be really helpful. And uh, don't forget rabble.ca. There's lots going on over there as well. It's a platform I'm also hosted on. You can find out uh, po- blog bloggers and podcasters and 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 other people journalists writing about you know news that matters or or in rabble's words news for the rest of us uh stay tuned coming right up shawnee cohen and rat park well welcome to face to face uh we are joined by a very special guest here with us today uh as usual and i have no idea what number this interview is going to be but this we're coming up on 500 interviews, which is insane. Shawnee Cohen is here today to talk about his new film, Rat Park, a film uh, about drugs and the cages we live in. Sounds like a real cheery pick-me-up film there, Shawnee. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. And we're sitting here at the stunning, uh, very wooden uh, Vice offices here in Toronto, in, in, in Toronto, Canada. I mean, it's. Uh, did I need to make that distinction, by the way? Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> it's really funny because a lot of these offices from New York to, I think, UK and in Canada, they actually have a very similar look. In very similar. Of, and we're sitting in the bear room, yeah, I so was told. I got a bit of the story on that, actually. Right. There's actually a bear room in New York. So There's yeah. a bear room? Well, there you go. We could be in New York. We could <laughs> be... We, and there's a lot of red brick around, too. So it's yeah. uh, sort of through through the windows. Mm-hmm. But a lot of history to this this. this place and and where we're at and kind of interesting wonder where this place was in the 70s when when some of these uh these this experiment was actually going on so 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 you know what before we dive in tell it tell us uh, well let's do you know what let's just dive in rat park love the film by the way thank you yeah yeah i mean um unsettling um disturbing and yet i think ultimately hopeful which i don't know if that's what you had in mind but uh i really appreciated you know this this and who who i mean i'm all about incrementalism shawnee i'm all right. about little things making a big difference who knew how could bruce known that we would have been here today right and and we're going to talk about bruce and the experiment mm-hmm. and so on but, but but tell us a bit about the context around the film and vice yeah. and, and and this is big for vice canada too right yeah i think so i think um it's our first kind of foray into into kind of getting a big feature documentary out of this office specifically so yeah, I'm proud of it. I mean, it's it's also been a kind of an evolution for me personally as a director in, in terms of making drug docs. I think one of the first drug docs I made four or five years ago was called Dope Sick, and, and it kind of examined fentanyl in Calgary. Um, and I learned a lot from that process. And, and it was, from my standpoint, a very simple film. We spent some time with some users in downtown Calgary, and, and um, yeah, it, it was a tough film to make because... 
I didn't know much about fentanyl. Someone mm-hmm. actually told me recently it was one of the first feature docs to actually um, talk about fentanyl in, in that way. Um, so yeah, I think from there I, I did another documentary last year for W5 about uh, fentanyl in Sault Ste. Marie. I noticed a trend, I think, making these documentaries that environment had quite a big, was kind of a big factor in, in kind of the reason for, for using drugs and what does that mean, you know, um, unemployment and boredom and, and depression and these ideas seem to be prevalent in, in these drug docs I was making and and I think, you know, come full circle when, when I heard about the Rat Park experiment about a year ago, um, it really kind of made a lot of sense to me, and it's it's just such a simple experiment. You know, you have a rat in a cage. He has the option to do uh, morphine or water, nothing he, else. He or she. Yeah, he or she, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and when they're in the, those tight spaces and they're in a cage, they would, you know, gravitate more towards the morphine and generally until they died. And, and, and you know, this idea was kind of prevalent for a long time in the 60s and 70s, the idea that, you know, the drug is causing you know, all these problems. Um, Bruce, I think, Bruce Alexander, the person who in, in, took the experiment to the next level, um, I think he didn't really believe that could be it. And, and so what did he do? He built something called Rat Park, and it's essentially a utopia for rats. Um, <laughs> Which is just, are you sure this isn't a comedy, by the way? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's funny because when I saw the photos, um, they they were quite wonderful. I mean, it's this big... Um, place rats can have sex. There is a lot for them to do. They can raise families, and I think he calls it a rat haven. Rat think, haven, in yeah. The, in the film, right? For sure. Um, yeah, which is and hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah, and club med for rats. Club med for rats, and and yeah, I think he learned a lot about rats. But and th- what was interesting about the experiment is how seriously he took it. Um, mm. Like the mm. the data and 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 the technology surrounding. The, like yeah, I think if if this was to work, he needed to make this experiment. Um, from his perspective, be a real experiment. And, and what so, the, so essentially, the, yeah. the notion is, and you, you brought up environment and mm. context is everything, it seems to me. And mm. no matter what, I mean, you talk about a relationship or or, or, or international development or some right. sort of business deal or your position on a, on, a, on, a, on a journalistic issue in the Middle East. It, it really does. We, we seem to forget, right. right, the context piece of it because For we're sure. embedded in it and it's a lens that we see everything through. Right. It's a it's pretty interesting philosophical notion, and yet and yet we don't take care. If, right. Does that make sense? No, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I guess Bruce would say you know environment is everything, and, and and in the case of the experiment, you have you know in this utopia, water at one end, heroin at the other, and, and he found without fail the rats, you know, while they tended to use a little bit of the heroin, they weren't getting as addicted to the rats that were in cages. And I think, you know, speaking to your point, the message I think that he would want to have come across, and I do in the film, is that, you know, you can't understand addiction unless you understand the environment you're in. And even at, like, at a metaphorical level, it's, it's that simple. And, yeah, and I really... I love, I love the fact that yeah. you have picked up on him, and I'm sure that Bruce has smiled about this over the years, and those who were involved in the experiment, and you guys mm-hmm. in the making of the film, but the idea that rats have so much to teach us right. about relationships, about about becoming, frankly, about becoming better humans, right. in, a, in a sense, 
is uh, is funny. It's remarkable. It's it's thoughtful. It's interesting, and, and, and it's just yeah. It's so well. What isn't layered really? Right. Right. But what do, what do rats have to teach us? Except I want to get them out of my garage. Basically. Yeah. It's right? funny. Yeah. A lot actually. I mean, Bruce seemed to love rats, and <laughs> and and you learn a lot just I think observing them for weeks at a time, and mm. and I learned a lot just talking to him. Like I didn't know that rats meditate, for instance. Um, rats will help raise each other's families. Um, I found one of the things that was most interesting in, in the experiment was a belief that a lot of the rats didn't do heroin. That's not true. A lot of the rats actually use heroin in so this utopia. So if I'm laughing, it's just, it's just the way you're, you know, it's just so cavalier. Well, you know. Yeah, no, for sure. It's I mean, awesome. Yeah, I'm so, still stuck on the rats meditating, by the way. I'm yeah. Doing, I'm doing some yoga later tonight, <laughs> and I probably will be doing some meditation, nice. so I, it's going to be hard not to think about the rats beside me. It's, yeah. it's a nice thought. Yeah, um, yeah rats. I like rats. But anyway, um, yeah, so rats occasionally uh, will use the heroin in, in Utopia. I mean, but they didn't get as addicted as the rats in cages. And what that taught me was that rats have the propensity to, to use drugs recreationally. Um, and I think that's quite, you know, for me, a fascinating notion. And the idea, I mean, for me, the, take, the big takeaway um, for me is that community matters right. in, 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 in every possible way. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we, we learn about addiction. Uh, but we learn about mental health issues as well, right. it seems to me. I think we learn about uh, 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 pedagogy and education mm-hmm. and all those things yeah. that humans together, most of the time, you know, obviously history shows us that, I don't know, what do we got, 230 years of civilized history or something in the last 3,500 right. of recorded history? I don't sure. know what it is. So humans always together doesn't work. We get right. that. We totally get that. But when it comes to healing, when it comes to... Uh, things like uh, these types of things. It's, it, it's not so polarized as sometimes science is, seems to tell us. No, I agree. I mean, if you look at, you know, a lot of the film is, takes place in Portugal, and if you look at how they handle addiction and, and their drug policy, um, they were successful essentially by moving it out of the criminal justice system and essentially saying, you know what, we're going to make an active effort to treat this as a medical issue. And... and um, and I think that's a wonderful approach. And at the end of the day, they were essentially able to reduce their um, their <coughs> overdose problem by close to 80%. Um, if you think back to the 90s, I mean, they had one of the worst heroin problems in the world. Mm. Um, and they just made a commitment. They, they said, you know what, we have to solve this problem. And, and of course, there's other bureaucratic problems in Portugal that, that um, you know, that are also mentioned in the film. But at the end of the day, you know, their policy is, is quite simple. You know, you, you're, you're caught with drugs, you have cocaine, you have heroin. It's essentially a $45 speeding ticket. If you're a problematic user, you go to something called the Dissuasion Commission, and it's essentially, you know, where social workers will, will help you and, and provide the medical assistance you need um, to, to kind of get better. And, and it's, I, in, yeah. it's interesting, you know, the, 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 on the president's orders, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen the film. But I've seen pieces of it, yeah. Yeah, so... so largely uh, about the issue in the Philippines and you touch on that as well in your yeah. film and the P in the Philippines when it comes to drugs seems to stand for punishment. Right. It's not about the human condition. It's not about attending to other issues that it's not about context or environment. It's no, like let's just let's just erase this problem yeah. and it will ultimately go away. What I find fascinating is is the buy-in right that that gets. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, you can look at the Durte and you can look at 
um, this ridiculous policy that he has. Essentially, he's given free reign to you know, people to kill drug users. But by and large, the policy is pretty popular. And I think for me that, in, in, in the country, and I think for me that's kind of the sad issue. But um, it is changing. I mean, some of, the yep. fo- yeah, some of the folks we talk to understand what harm reduction is. And I just think they're, you know, I don't want to criticize them too much. I mean, I think so much of this comes from one president who's a bit maniacal. But for the most part, there's a lot of good people in, in the Philippines who realize this is wrong. Um, and certainly we try talking to a lot of them in the film, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's a good example of how not to treat a problem like drug use because, yeah, it's the exact opposite of the Portuguese model where, you know, instead of helping people from a medical perspective, let's just, like, eradicate them. It's, uh, I I think, uh, one of the journalists that you follow, or the photojournalist that you... you, Vincent. Yeah, Yeah. Vincent in the film uh, talks about it being a war on people. Yeah. Yeah. Is it... It's not simple, but but is it a political question? In, in would you say? I mean, you've you've made yeah. several drug do- drug docs now. You've been you've been thinking about these issues right. for quite a while. It sounds like to me, and I've had dozens of conversations. Mm. What's what's your two cents? Is is it unfortunately leaders say like like uh, Duterte say? Okay, this is it's black and white. Right. Let's get rid of them. The problem goes away. Mm. I mean, really, when it, when we're talking about humanity. It's that simple paradox, contradiction, right. complexity, sure. right? Nuance, subtlety, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, any, any thoughts on that yeah. policy-like side to it? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's leaders in the world that um, see things so black and white and, and don't understand the gray area. And I think De Durte is, is one of those people. I mean, he was essentially kind of like a small-town mayor before right. he became right. president. Of the, and, and, you know, and that's how he approaches running the country. Like, uh, and, and, you know, uh, what I find interesting, a lot of the promises that he made in his campaign before he got elected were similar to, you know, kind of these Trump-like ideas. Like, right. you, know, I can, you know, I can fix this. And from anything from, like, the traffic problem to you know, to drug use and, and with such simple ideas. Well, and it's almost, you know what I went to? Uh, Shani, I went to the idea of a thumbs up or a right. thumbs down. No, 100%. As, as if something could be solved that way. And I think we even see, there's lots of images yeah. of Trump with his hand out, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, to answer the bigger question about humanity, I mean, yeah, I would say spending time in the Philippines, it, it felt more like a war on poverty, to be quite honest. Mm. You know, and, and I felt like that there's a you know, big injustice, and, 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 you know, a lot of the places we filmed where drug use was prevalent, and you had these um, kind of executions going on were in, in tough areas, and, and people just trying to, you know, normal folk trying to raise family, but at the same time, you know, they only make a couple hundred bucks a month, and, and I just felt it was so unfair, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people don't talk about why people necessarily use drugs in the Philippines, but people need multiple jobs, meth is very prevalent, and, and a lot of times the, people use, the reason people use meth is to, like, sustain longer hours while they work, so typically you'll have someone, hmm. you know, um, you know, delivering things on their bike or, or needing to somehow work eight or nine hours in the day and then another six, seven hours at night. So right. they need to stay awake. So often, you know, drug use comes with, you know, these circumstances um, based on, on, you know, the need to kind of keep going. And I felt that these aren't necessarily people who have problems, mm. but 
this perception that you use drugs, you must be evil, we have to eradicate you is just so archaic and ridiculous. I, I found it fascinating. One of the young women that you talked to in the film, like maybe she lost her husband mm-hmm. or her brother. Uh, said, Both, you know, actually. Not, yeah. yeah, not all users are addicts. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting as well. I mean, yeah, that makes sure. sense when you hear yeah. that on a certain level. But when you're talking about drugs like meth and heroin and mm-hmm. so on, you, you think addict. You mm-hmm. think addiction. Somebody has a problem. Right. I would say if you typically look at you know, the characteristics of what some psychologists and doctors would consider to be a traditional addict or have some type of kind of genetic connection to, to being addicted, that's 10%. 90% of the population I wouldn't necessarily consider in that same category. But you know, I'm no expert. But what I will say is when it comes to treatment, what I found really interesting, I was reading a New York Times article recently, and it was talking about um, how many people become clean or, or stop using drugs naturally and, and it's, it's I think it's well over 50 percent hmm. so so yeah I mean I think drug use is just there's so many different factors of involved course. it's you know the time of your life and 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 I think given a long enough timeline people um, for the most part in my opinion my experience tend to find a way out of like a bad situation if if you know things go right for them well and i think i mean what i'd like to think at least and i hope this isn't just the the idealist in me coming Mm -hmm. out and a few of my listeners are rolling Mm -hmm. their eyes i suppose but (laughs) i I should have on my business card hopeful cynic but right but but people come around you've got a support group you've got Mm -hmm. a support mechanism uh um the idea being i think out of rat park or at least the experiment is Mm -hmm. that through there is healing through others for sure. Right? I no, mean, absolutely. It, yeah, and it doesn't always work. Right. That's not always going to happen. That does, it doesn't mean you don't also need extra help right. uh, or other people to also come around. But I think the reality is, don't we all need um, um, uh, a mentor right. or, or, or uh, an, an old teacher to call or a friend? Or right. in, and often it's not our parent, a pastor, For sure. a priest, whatever, right? You need somebody to say, hey, I need to talk. Yeah, I mean, on a much larger scale, I would say that it's, you know, you see a lot of people trying to come up with solutions to the opiate crisis and and whatnot, but, you know, there's no one solution. Mm. There's so many different factors in society that we'll have to, you know, really examine. I think it's easy to kind of blame the drug, but when you look at, you know, unemployment, social factors, like depression, like those are big problems, but at the same time, you know, if we're to solve this problem, it's not as simple as banning drugs or stopping the war on drugs. I mean, you have to understand, you know, issues of treatment and, and how we kind of approach how people will get better and, and having more social workers and, and and people that are, you know, compassionate towards people who use drugs. So from a medical perspective, um, you need buy-in from the police, you need buy-in from politicians, drug companies. So this is this is not a quick fix. Yeah, it's not a quick fix. And I, uh, let's come back to the science and compassion. For thing. sure. It's, it's just such a wonderful notion yeah. that <clears throat> that it, too often we're driven, it seems to me, by data and we make yeah. decisions on Excel spreadsheets and, mm-hmm. and graphs that can be easily manipulated. And, right. and you know, how, how do we lie with statistics? We do it all the time, right? Right. Let's, let's come back to that in a second. But I want to hop back into North America. Is mm. it Justin, a former user, yeah. Flor- Floridian guy, yeah. uh, love this guy he's, he's great. just so in your face and and just tells it like it great is great tattoos wonderful um but but what's really interesting to me there and i had no idea about the opiate crisis there in the sense that the, those shots of the lineups yeah at these pill clinics pill essentially mills. yeah pill, pill mills for sure and i and and we can go anywhere with this uh, shani mm-hmm. but but the idea that those eventually got shut down mm-hmm. 
problem doesn't go away, right? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're still staring something in the face. Quite the opposite, actually. You, you talk about big farm, big farmers in, in the news all over the place right now, and, and a lot of people are blaming um, big pharma for causing the problem. And I'm not denying that they did, but in Florida, what you had maybe 10, 15 years ago was this completely unregulated market where anyone could go and, and get oxycotton, and, and there was giant lineups, and you and they basically you know created this. You know, crazy industry of of you know people. Doing, I couldn't believe the images yeah, of the lineups. Doing oxy's all over the place. I was astounded yeah. that you could just it, you knock on a door and you For sit sure. in a waiting room and you got a bag of pills on your way out. One hundred percent. It's it was it was nuts. And and you see like big pharma kind of you know perpetuating this and no one calling it out. And then and then it all stopped. You had the government come together and realize this is a massive problem and we're mm. going to end it. Mm. Um, I don't think anyone really expected what would happen after that. Um, what happened after that is, is remarkable. Everyone started dying. Mm. And the reason they started dying was because they were getting illicit fentanyl from all over the place. Right. They were getting it from... Not controlled. Don't not controlled. It, so illicit fentanyl from China, from... I was reading recently about how Mexican cartels um, just love this idea that the government was going to shut down these pill mills and and they love the fact that you know people are going after Pardue and because it's just opened up a market and what that mm, shows you is mm. that you know the demand isn't going away you know between 20 and 30 percent if I had to guess of, of people still want to use drugs it's probably a bit less for opiates but at the same time when this supply from pharma and from these pill mills died um, people still needed drugs. So the only place they could go to was the street and, and these unregulated oxy pills that ended up being fentanyl um, just started killing. And then that's when you see the spike in people dying. And, and I'm not saying the answer is, you know, we should have let these pill mills, you know, continue. I don't think anyone had the answer. I don't think anyone has the answer with big pharma. You can blame them all you want. But I tend to look at the government and how the government kind of allow this to happen mm. with their unregulation. But at the same time, it brings a bigger question into play, and, and this is the idea of decriminalization. Right. Um, and a lot of people think this idea, this big bad word of maybe legalizing drugs or decriminalizing drugs um, could potentially make the matter worse. But, you know, places in the world where we have tried this, um, tons of problems, but what happens consistently is the amount of people dying re gets reduced. So it's essentially, you know, deciding what you want to do. You know, do you want people to continue dying or do you want, you know, to have uh, some type of regulated market? I have no doubt eventually we're going to kind of, you know, like we legalize cannabis in Canada, we will eventually in the next 30 or 40 years reach a place where most drugs will be decriminalized. Mm. Um, it's a hard idea to wrap your head around, but certainly after making all these drug docs and doing all this research and talking to some of the best experts in the world, it feels like the most logical solution. Mm, interesting. So uh, can, am I hearing you right? Uh, politicians need to be uh, maybe not, not so focused on the scientific data and evidence and maybe, maybe a little more compassionate? Is, is I think it's everything. It's funny, I was watching the CNN debate the other night and... For the first time, I saw two of the candidates on CNN talking about this idea of decriminalization. Mm. And, and I love that. And, and I think, to answer your question, I think politicians have to try to really dive into the issue and understand all aspects of, A, addiction, opiate use, cartels, big pharma. There's no quick solution, and there's no quick 
way to understand the issue in, unless you do a ton of research mm -hmm. and spend time on the ground and understand all factors that contribute to the problem. And the politicians that do that, the politicians that spend a lot of time um, going beyond the surface of the issue and trying to understand you know, these root causes, um, I think will have the most success in at least coming up with some type of policy or introducing some type of policy that will you know, help this problem. And, and yeah, so the idea that you had some politicians on CNN talking about decrim was really interesting. You would never see that 10 years ago. Well, and, and the fact, and the idea that, that politicians aren't compassionate is, is right. ludicrous. These, right. these are people who have families and, 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 and are deeply embedded in their communities sure. and presumably get into po politics right. to change the world. And, of course. Right, they come in with eyes yeah. wide open and, and maybe yeah. leave with them eyes wide shut. I don't right. know, but, but um, yeah, the, 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 it almost sounds to me like, and, and again, some smiles from my listeners, but are, is this an argument for the nonprofit sector a, a little right. bit here? Is this a bit of an argument for the volunteer sector as well, that you know, uh, uh, clinics right. uh, where, where people can go, uh, governments maybe not getting their act together at a right. higher level because they've got big pharma pulling on their coats on one right. side and they've got the, the, the activists on the other kind of, again, that's, sure. that's, way, that's massive oversimplification of the yeah. issue, but, but it's, it, is, it is complicated. Oh, it's I so could imagine being an MP going, this, I'm getting in politics to change this, right. and then finding out the, 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 the trouble that you run up against in right. order to even get a meeting. Right. No, I'm sure. I'm so, sure. Right. So, yeah. so yeah. Just interested. Thought, thoughts about that? Is yeah. I mean, I think anytime you talk to a politician, I've talked to a lot of social workers and harm reductionists and people who've set up great policy, and they talk to politicians, and you can see while they're talking to them, um, they're getting the answer that you know they think they want, but at the same time, you can see almost like this politician thinking, "All right, how is this going to affect my voters?" And I think <laughs> that's, and the, I th that's yeah. the cynical side of it, yeah. isn't it? That's the troubling that's side. The so tru I'll, I'll, I'll engage with the public as long as it gets me votes. For sure. Like that's troubling. That's why I kind of like the approach that um, <laughs> Portugal took. It, it was kind of, you know, they basically changed their drug policy in the face of what everyone thought mm. um, was insane, and and you know they they moved a whole nation to taking it from a criminal justice problem to a medical problem. And they put together a committee, um, psychologists, addiction experts, politicians, and, and they got it done. Well, it seems to me that's where you kind of need to start. I right. mean, if, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna embed, and it really is about environment and context, mm -hmm. first sure. you need to understand, you need to ask the right questions. You don't just step in and say, here, we got the solution. Right. You got to listen. So the committee is important. Mm. Sounds a little cynical. Oh, great! We'll set right. up another committee. Right, right, right. But hopefully, it's informed, and and, and the right people are are, yeah. are are a part of that conversation. Right. And it sounds like Portugal got a fair bit. No, for sure. Right. I mean, I mean, think if you, if you're gonna kind of um, approach something like that in North America, you you can't really have the conversation without including people who use drugs. And, right. And it's yeah. really interesting. I just went to a conference recently, and I won't say which one. It was a drug conference, and people were talking about the issue. There was doctors and social workers and all these people, but it was amazing to see that there didn't seem to be many people in, in the room that actually had drug problems in the past. Interesting. Um, that's why I like Justin. In the well, film. I was just going to say, this is yeah. where Justin comes into yeah. play, a guy like him, right? For sure, and he's great, and I think, you know, there's this great quote in the film where he's like, you know, he's sitting at this table and everyone's trying to discuss how to deal with the problem, and he says, well, as being the only person who's had experience using drugs in the room, here's my opinion. And, and I think that's valid, you know, and I think it's going to take all types of individuals and, and, and people that um, will help solve the problem. But I, at the very least, I'd hope that 
you know, politicians and, and people that are in charge of this type of decision-making, changing drug policy, would really include social workers and drug mm. users and people mm. really suffering. And I think... And, fa and family members. And family members, for like, sure. Who are you yeah. going to survey? Who are you going to interview? Yeah, for sure. How, how, how wide yeah. and how deep are you yeah. actually going to go with your research? For sure. So, so love to talk about the compassion, the love, the mm. compassion, hmm. and, the, and, and, the, and the understanding in... Hmm. Maybe that's the circle that's drawn around yeah. the scientific approach, the lab coat. Right. The lab coat with love. There you go. There's a <laughs> title for, for something. But, I like but, that. But before we go there, what, what, Shani, what about your interest in this? I mean, right. so you've been making drug docs, you said, yeah. you know, and you, or you had a drug conference. So clearly right. it's, it's partially your job and what you do right. as a journalist and as a filmmaker and so on. Mm -hmm. But other, other reasons behind that? or. Um, not necessarily. It's funny academic? you say that. Someone asked me that recently. One of my first features was about my own family, um, and, hmm. it, and it was about, you know, it was about a strip club in, in Guelph. But at the end of the day, it was about my family, and my family um, was kind of going through their own problems with addiction. And, and the film was really about my mother, who was struggling with anorexia, and my hmm. father, who, um, you know, was grossly overweight. And they're both trying to deal with these like incredible weight issues. That, and on the extreme while living, you know, in a strip club, which is all about environment. So I think there's some layers to the types of films I make. And I think, you know, looking back, I think addiction is, you know, maybe a kind of sub-layer that kind of hmm. reappears in a lot of stuff I make. But in terms of drugs specifically, I think... There's an... There's a, there's a, I mean, from, mm. I, I want to see yeah. that film. Right. There's an intimacy, it right. sounds to me, like in the stories that you tell and what sort of got you into this right. business, if you can say that sure. in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I will say my my approach to filmmaking, especially with drug docs, has really changed. I think when I first made, you know, Dope Sick and then, you know, the W5 one, it was important to me to kind of film drug use and show people and parents suffering. And, and I began to realize that that necessarily isn't the right way to go. I think sometimes it actually has the opposite effect if you're shooting someone using in an alley or, you know, I don't like that type of content anymore. Like I was watching Intervention the other day and I was just like, Ugh, not into it. And I'll tell you why, because I think politicians and, and you know, anti-drug advocates watch this stuff and, and they judge it based on, you know, the surface and what, you know, what's happening in front of them. And I feel like Rat Park for me um, was a much deeper film, and it was more about drug policy. Is, yeah, and this is interesting. So this is this is you as a filmmaker maturing. Can I say that? Yeah, I think so for sure. You used the word evolution yeah. when we sort of started out, but but is that about is that about respect for the other? Is that about yeah. there's certain things that just don't go on camera? Well, I don't know. It's certain things that don't go on camera, but I think you know, when it comes to drug use, this idea of of you know shooting users for the sake of shooting made less and less sense to me. And, and that's also from watching a lot of drug documentaries because they all tend to be kind of be the same. Sensational. Yeah, sensational, exploitative, let's shoot the drug use, users and, and, you know, let's shoot the parents crying. But, you know, they don't get to the core issue. Mm. And the core issue for me is, you know, what is... What are the environmental factors? What are the social factors? What are the bigger problems at play? Well, what, is, what is addiction? And what, right. what does that actually mean? You know, I was talking yeah. to a friend of mine who's struggling with weight issues. And, it's a great question. Yeah. And it's a biggie, right? Because yeah. it can come in, oh, people are addicted to work. People, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, people are addicted to exercise, mm -hmm. which is so absurd sort of in a way to think that, right? But Video but games now are big. Video, yeah. video yeah. games, it's, it's really quite fascinating. So I think it's, it's an important question. And I think, it, was it Bruce in the film who says there's, um, 
uh, kind of maybe with a smile or tongue in cheek, there's only so much you can learn from rats. Yeah. Is that him? That's it is. him. Right. It is. But I find it fascinating that we're here because of rats. Right. Right? No, sure. So yeah. on one level you go, okay, Bruce, I get it. There's not much we can learn from rats because right. they're pissing me off in my garage right got to get rid of them where's my rat trap right that's my first, right when everyone mm-hmm. i mean rats just conjure up the, all the wrong images right not well, not, uh, not academic not uh, projects not yeah. science not relationships sure. not humanity right it's, no for it's sure great i love it i love that yeah. metaphor by the way yeah. i mean i metaphor is a great word i think if you'd ask bruce he would say you know aside from all this evidence and, and statistical data that came out of the experiment mm-hmm. he'd want you to just look at it as you know like a metaphor for kind of the bigger question yeah, yeah. Did did you guys have to build um, uh, just practically? Yeah, we did actually. Build so a maze and bring in you know rat handlers, I guess. Is that yeah, it? we did actually. I mean, <laughs> did you really? Okay. It's funny. I actually had heard from Bruce. We tried to dig it up, but there was a video of of the rat experiment originally from the seventies. We couldn't really find it. It was in some guy's garage and, and disappeared long ago. But I felt like you know, to make this film, um, we really needed to kind of build Rat right. Park again. Yeah, so we used the original photos that he oh, did wow. take, yeah. And we hired like, an incredible, you know, set deck. And, 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 yeah, I mean, I think my only um, parameters that I gave the crew in building is, like, I want everything sourced from the 70s, and I want it to kind of be built as close as possible to the original experiment so people can, you know, get a bird's eye view of what this thing actually looked like in video and and we ended up getting like this fancy lens from japan that was super mm. macro so we can get right up close to these these little animals and and, and i feel like um it was successful and i'm glad we kind of did that mm. there's an ending uh, near the end of the film i think the phrase is make the world more habitable or is it inhabitable right. in either way it takes us to a really interesting place and right. we're kind of back to environment and context right. and village and community and so on all the fun stuff all yeah. the fun stuff all the all the fascinating stuff all the stuff that i'd like to get us to mm-hmm. you know having worked in development and traveled mm-hmm. the world and, and, and been in so many different contexts mm-hmm. the things that we have to learn if right. we're willing to listen Right is, right is is it's remarkable. You sure. know, I, I spent a lot of time, as as my listeners will know, in Cambodia and working there at the Kingdom of Wonder. Right. Studied philosophy all of my life. Sure. All good philosophy is rooted in wonder, rooted in the question. You got to peel back some layers. Right. Uh, is that is curiosity? Is that it for you? Is that is that is this peeling back the layers for you and how it teases out as a filmmaker for you? I think so. Curiosity and and. Um, you know, we talk about culture and humanity and this idea that we want to get to some of the core issues. I don't think you can do that without travel. Mm. And I really feel mm. like um, how I live my life is much different than someone, you know, 10,000 kilometers away. Right. Yeah, and I really felt like one of the reasons I wanted to make this film the way I did structurally um, was to go to the farthest places from each location. And, and it was a bit of an experiment in that way like if you literally measure out the places the locations we went to they're close to 10,000 kilometers apart so you literally couldn't get further from Florida or the Philippines to Lisbon right 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 and and just from my experience making films and traveling there's so much to learn from and was that just because you wanted uh, a a cultural cross-cultural kind of layer to the story cross-cultural layer I wanted to well I mean at at its core I kind of wanted to go the the worst place in the world that I'd read about for doing drugs in the best place and and yeah, and I'm kind of glad that we crossed the globe because you really get a nice dissection of, of um, people's beliefs and, and how people view drug use and addiction in general. 
So, so we got to wrap up soon. And sure, this, yeah. this is one of those interviews for me, Shani, that could, yeah. could just keep going yeah, and, and the batteries will die. And, mm-hmm. you know, but, and I get so frustrated with sure. the, the one thing about my podcast that I don't like is that the conversations have to come right. to an end. It's always, always a bit of a drag. And, and I love that metaphor mm-hmm. too, that there's mm-hmm. always another question. Right. There's always a, another space to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you said something, it's, it's, it, you know, it's about travel and I would agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's a lot of folks who travel mm-hmm. who, who actually, at the risk of sounding a little uber judgmental, right. are probably doing a whole lot more damage than good. Yeah. So, so it's about having the eyes to see, isn't it? Right. And the ears to hear, kind of being willing right. to say, hey, c- can, can I visit you in your village right. rather than you come and hang out with me at the pool at my hotel? Yeah. I mean, you hit it on the head. Um, I've always traveled and I, my goal in life is actually to hit the century mark and go to a hundred different countries. <laughs> yeah. I have one friend who's done it and, and okay. I'm so jealous. It's a big commitment. That's wild. Um, That's a pretty huge commitment. Yeah. yeah it's but a lot I, of carbon credits. For sure. <laughs> a lot of carbon credits, a lot of air miles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of really crummy food. <laughs> yeah. Or some great food. With I mean, some great yeah. food once you get there. For sure. I was talking um, more, more about the, I have this theory, by the way, mm. that all airline food is made in one kitchen. Oh, I hate one 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 yeah. kitchen, and it's just shipped out from there because it just yeah. no matter what airline you're on, it, it just all tastes. The I, same I can't stand airline food. It's yeah. funny because uh, I was reading about uh, Anthony Bourdain recently, and the mm. only food that he won't eat is on airlines. And, <laughs> yeah, and I've true. had my, my my share of really bad airline yeah. meals. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean to answer your question, I, I think I don't know. I, I think it's different for everyone, but I approach travel with a complete self awareness mm. and respect from where I'm going, mm. and I try to be humble. Um, so. Yeah, and I think that's kind of critical, and you know, and, and I would encourage people to travel in that way too. I, I don't like rolling up into resorts, or even when I'm not making films, like I, I like to backpack and I like to explore a country um, with the utmost respect for where I am, and sometimes even get into trouble. And, and I feel like, you know you learn a lot from just putting yourself in a situation mm-hmm. and, and like leaving your comfort zone and not understanding the language. And at the same time being humble and understanding that, you know, this is a time for learning. I love, I love the idea of, of approaching uh, travel with humility yeah. uh, and self-awareness and respect. Sure. I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of connected to that, that notion of the, the, the addiction crisis, looking at it through a compassionate, loving, right. you know, community like lens, which is, sure. which is certainly what you, you, you bring to your filmmaking and again by the way congratulations on rat park um, thank you so n- another drug doc in the near future i know uh, this is coming up and it's, i hope not i think you uh, hope not okay. i've made three or four now yep. and, and uh time to move on to some uh, another subject yeah i kind of want to maybe just jump into like the history of toothpicks or something <laughs> right. um, but do you know what i believe i believe a, a doc that's done well is is fascinating period so i right. bet you that history of toothpicks actually would be a great <laughs> film so no i believe that too you might, might want to consider starting to research <laughs> it's, that. it's yeah. all about the execution that's right yeah yeah um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I make all types of films, so I'm, I'm really kind of excited to. I usually, after making a very dark film, try to jump into something a bit lighter, um, just to clear my head a little bit. So I have no doubt I'll eventually come back to doing something about, um, you know, drugs and addiction, and, and that tends to be a theme in a lot mm. of my films. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I, th- I think exploring other types of films would also be super interesting for me. I uh, I wonder if the theme is relationship. Maybe. I wonder if the theme is intimacy. It's right. it's kind of interesting. We've been talking with Shawnee Cohen. Um, uh, the first, help me out here, the first Vice Canadian production, Rat Park. 
right. uh, coming soon to a theater near you uh, on Crave as well, I believe. Yeah, so right? we're having a big screening, um, a one-time screening where Bruce Alexander, the creator of Rep Park, and some of the central characters are going to be there for a Q&A. It's at Ted Rogers Hot Dog Cinema on November 1st. Um, you can go to Hot Dog Site and, and kind of find the film there. And then shortly after that, it's going to be found on Crave starting nice. November 4th, so you can stream it anytime. And to find out more, uh, website, Vice? Yeah, just go to vice.com, and yep. you'll see a little header called Rat Park, and click on that, and, yeah, you can learn more about the film and the experiment. And we've actually written a lot of articles about drug use and legalization, so, um, yeah, it's all there. And lots to learn uh, mm. from rats. It's fascinating. Uh, we've been talking to Shawnee Cohen here today about Rat Park, his new film, a film about drugs and the cages we live in. Shawnee, thanks uh, for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.